we're turning to God's Word. 1 Kings chapter 17. First Kings chapter 17 and the first seven verses. And keep your Bible open. Verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite. Now nobody knows where that Tishbite, nobody knows anything about it. And you know, nobody knows much about Elijah other than when he's a grown man. We don't know where his mother was. We don't know where his father was. We don't really know exactly where he came from, away up on the mountains of Gilead where there was nothing, only sheep and stones. Barren place. Don't know his mother, don't know his father, don't know his upbringing, don't know if he had any other family. And he just lands on the scene here, just fully grown, just suddenly at the palace in Samaria. And he goes off the scene as quick in a chariot of fire. And God has all kinds of men, all backgrounds, and for different purposes, just as you and we are, for different tasks to carry out in our lifetime. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. In other words, he done what he was told to do, which some of us are not very good at doing. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And we know that God will bless to us the public reading of his word. Most biblical scholars agree that when we come to the end of the 16th chapter of 1 Kings, many, if not all, Israel thought that God had finished with the nation and the people spiritually. The demise and the extinction spiritually of the people were being discussed in high places. The whole land from top to bottom was saturated and awash with idol worship. The shrines and the temples to the god Ashtaroth and the god Baal, the sun and moon gods, flashed on every high hill. 
The skies were darkened with the thorns of satanic fires burning. Young children, the altars of Jehovah raised by Abram, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, were either smashed to pieces or removed out of the way by the false prophets of Baal. The wicked, the wicked king Ahab and his demonic possessed wife had a plan and a blueprint and a strategy that in a few years the God of Israel's statutes, commands and laws would be of a distant memory. It says of King Ahab at the end of chapter 16 that he did more to provoke God than all the kings of Israel before him. Fifty-eight years from the death of Solomon, the sunk into an abyss of profanity, idolatry, corruption that was unprecedented. False prophets chanted from the hilltops and from the towns day by day, Baal is alive. And God is dead. Jehovah's dead. Baal lives. Every light was extinguished. Every voice was hushed. And every commandment was broken. Jezebel, who was an unequal yoke to Ahab, was from a family of witches. She was trained in witchcraft, in the art of child sacrifice. She was raised up of the devil just as Herod and Haman and Hitler to destroy the people of God. She brought with her hundreds of satanic priests who tore down the schools of the prophets, built the altar of the schools of the prophets had built, burned the scriptures and rounded up and martyred hundreds of God's people. And if they didn't bow to Baal, they were executed. Now the scriptures tell us there were 7,000 who didn't, but they fled. And they ran into the caves and the mountains and hid from the fury of Ahab and Jezebel. The enemy had come in like a flood to the extent that most of them had settled to the fact that it's all over. All we can do, they were saying, and this is what they did, they compromised, they acquiesced, or they fled. This was the devil's hour and the power of darkness. But my friend, let me say this to you this morning. This is not the first time that we read of this. I can tell you that church history is peppered with situations in times gone past as bad as this. There's been countless times in the history of the church when she's been written off by pundits and adversaries and critics. And then suddenly God has come. Suddenly God has raised up somebody. Some, so, suddenly God restores and 
revitalize and revisit his people when they're down at a very, very low ebb. And when, when one looks at our national spiritual situation this morning, it looks as if we're in days of Ahab and Jezebel. And the cry is going up, not only from the church, and, and so many people this morning from different religions, so many people this morning with, from different backgrounds that are not evangelical-minded at all, the cry has gone up, not only, not only from Christendom, but from all over the place, the cry has gone up this morning. Where's God? Thousands are bewildered this morning when they see what they saw on our television in our province during the week. Thousands are bewildered this morning and vexed this morning and annoyed this morning and you can't blame them. When you look at the latest, and I got the latest statistics for abortion for the nation in one year, the year last year, one quarter of a million defenseless unborn children murdered in the womb, one quarter of a million in one year. 500 pounds a time. Can you blame people for thinking, where's God? Can you blame people for saying when we saw what we saw last week on the television, the Sodomites marrying in, the, in our own province, which was once known as worldwide as a seedbed for the gospel, an epitome of morality and chastity, and stability and truth. Does it not concern you when you see a half a million people voting in the government of the Republic terrorists who have never repented into government? Terrorists who have slaughtered our loved ones and our families. I'm vexed this morning. Not with them people individually. I'm vexed with what the devil's doing in our land. In Psalm 11 this morning, David says, when the founda- if the foundations be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? Shall we flee as a bird to the mountain? Do we juke and hide like the false prophets of Baal? Do we run to the caves and the dens and the mountains and let them have it? And I say, no, we don't flee. We don't run. We don't compromise. We stand our ground. And we stand our ground on the authority of the Word of God. And we stand our ground on the great uh, heritage of history that we have in days gone by when God moved in dark hours. Remember Daniel. Remember Daniel in in the hour of crisis when they were taken into captivity and all seemed to be lost. Young Daniel stood forth, and here's what he says. He says, there's a God in heaven. My friend, I want to say to you this morning, and I believe it with all my heart and with all my soul, there's a God in heaven. When England was in the worst state that she, a worst state, the far worse state than she's in now in the 16th century, the two Wesleys and George Whitfield stood up and said, we're not taking this anymore. There's a God in heaven. When the lights were almost out in Scotland and the voices were hushed and Mary, Queen of Scots, 
had the heather running with the blood of the covenanters. John Knox stood up and says, there's a God in heaven. Whenever Europe was battered into submission by the darkness of Romanism and Mariality, the son of a woodcutter from Islam in, in Germany stood up, the name was Martin Luther, and he said, there's a God in heaven, and he spared Europe. When things got so bad here, when everybody was at the end of their tether, God raised up a rough, rugged, unlearned, uncouth man from the mountains of Gilead. For I say again, to say all that was about it was goats and sheep and stones. Nobody knows anything about his background. It was rough, and he was dressed rough, and he looked rough. But God laid on his heart a burden, and the news has come back to this man of God, whose name, this father and mother, were godly people, whose name means the Lord Jehovah is King. And the word came back to this man of what was going on in the nation that he loved. And when he began to meditate upon what God had done for his people in delivering them out of Egypt, when he began to think of the man and the quails and the water from the rock, when he began to think of the, of the Red Sea and, and how he brought them over, how, how a pillar of fire by day and cloud by night, and how he brought them over the Jordan and how God blessed them, and oh, my friend, whatever word he had, he had, he had most of that word and it was getting down into his heart. And he was hearing the word and he was seeing what was going on. And God moved upon his soul. And heartbroken and his blood boiling and his lips quivering, this man Elijah, fully grown, arrived at the palace in Samaria. And he came past, he saw the idols. He took him past, he heard the sacrifices. As he came past, he saw all the things that God had raised up in the land that was once mighty for God. And into the palace, the usher room, there was no pleasantries. There was no small talk. There was no bowing and there was no scraping. But he said what I'm after saying, what Daniel said, another said, he says, there's a God in heaven. Here's what he says. He says, the God, the, the, the God of Israel. The God of Israel. That's the very words that he says. I stand there uh, before the God of Israel. The God of Israel liveth. But not only does he say there's a God in heaven, and not only does he say there's a God in Israel, he says there's a God here because there's a God in Israel before whom I stand. This man standing in the presence of God at this pagan palace, in this pagan hour, he's standing, he says, I'm standing in the presence. He's in the presence of God. But listen, friends, this morning, we can come closer than that again. We, the people of God, can. there's a God in heaven. There's a God of Israel, and we know there's a God in Israel, and he's working out the plan for Israel. There's a God in heaven. There's a God in Israel. There's a God before whom we stand, and there's a God in this pulpit, stand God in this pulpit, standing with me this morning, and he's in this house this morning. But we can go further than that. We can say, Christ in me, the hope of glory. 
Right? You couldn't do that. Oh, you just let that sink into your heart this morning. Christ, are you saved this morning? Born again this morning? You say you are? Well, the living Christ, the Holy Spirit, liveth within me. In me, the hope of glory. Christ in me. What are we to fear this morning? Why should we take lectures from the devil this morning? Why should we run and hide this morning? Why why should we juke away from the prayer meetings this morning? We have a living Christ before whom we stand and a living Christ who lives within us. Psalm 46. I have been thinking about it during the week. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore shall not we fear, though the mountains be moved into the sea, carried into the midst of the sea, and the earth be removed, though the waters roar and the mountains shake and the heathen rage, God is in the midst of her. He shall help in that right early. You know, I got two great, mighty blessings. I got many discouragements through the week, just as many as you and maybe more. But I got two great encouragements this week. One of them was in this prayer meeting on Friday night. Oh, my heart was blessed on Friday night in this prayer talk from 8 to 12. Oh, if you weren't there, you missed it. But the other great blessing I got from Jonah. Coming 18 years of age, those of you who don't know, he's a man of four or five. He walked through the kitchen and I was sitting on the sofa just thinking about, I was coming out of the study and I was thinking about this message. And I was thinking about the situation in our land. And the, and the child opened the Bible at Psalm 121 and he started to read it the best he could. Walking through the kitchen. Lift up your eyes onto the hills. From whence cometh your help? Your help cometh from God. He read the whole psalm. I tell you, it was the best sermon I ever heard in my life. It was the best message, my friend, that I ever heard. The best reading of God's word that I ever heard. So I want to encourage you this morning. I want you to lift up your eyes onto the hills this morning. I want you to lift your hearts in praise. I want you to lift your hands if you want to in worship this morning. But I want to say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Elisha said later on, on one occasion, Elisha said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? I tell you, I know where the Lord God of Elijah is. The Lord God of Elijah is here this morning. The Lord God of Elijah is in my heart this morning, and he has been for 50 years, if we get to the end of May. Uh, This God is our God, and he shall be our guide even unto death. And our God's not going to abandon us in the nation. He's not going to abandon us in the province. And he's not going to let the devil take our children. You believe that this morning. And you pray to that end this morning. He's not going to do it. Oh, away this morning with unbelief. Away with doubts and fears and foreboding. Let us step out like Elijah and declare, there's a God in heaven. There's a God in Israel. There's a God before whom I stand. 
And there's a God that lives and God that lives within my heart. Now, I have no headings for this message this morning. I have no structure in this message this morning. It just burned in my heart most of the week. But I want to give you a couple of things about Elijah and the scene before us. Directly, practically, spiritually, and apply them to your soul. The first thing about him is this, and they're very simple this morning. There's one thing about this man, Elijah, and one thing about you, believer, this morning. There's one thing that says, you're safe. You're safe. You see, there were 800 prophets of Baal. 400 attended the satanic altars and 400 sat at Jezebel's table. Then there was the soldiers and then there was the henchmen. And as that man walked down through the midst of all that to the palace, the righteous are as bold as a lion. Not one finger could touch him. He had nothing, only the sword of the Lord buried deep, the word of the Lord buried deep in his heart. And as he walked past the shrines and as he walked past the altars and he walked past the soldiers to the palace, God was with him. They couldn't touch him. And then when he got the word at the palace, he went to the brook charity. He had to go right back to the very end of the land, to the very border of the land, to the Jordan. And a year later, he had to travel 80 miles back to Seraphath. Not one finger could touch him. And Seraphath, where he went to the woman of Seraphath, the widow of Seraphath, was Jezebel's back door. That's where she was from. I tell you, my friend, we're safe until the Lord commands it. You believe that this morning. Whenever Pat and I was in Derry in the mid-70s, for eight weeks, every day, every week, for eight weeks, on the West Bank, and the West Bank wasn't as big as it is now, on the West Bank, there was a soldier or a policeman killed every week. And like going over that place in the morning, when we came out of the CID office at night, we used to have to zigzag the car across, uh, across the, the, the Strand Road to, to avoid snipers. A couple of men were killed. And in, in Eglinton, we had up on the, where we lived, we had up on the kitchen. Plagues and darts around us fly. Until he bids, we cannot die. Not a single shaft can hit till the God of love sees fit. You believe that this morning. And that goes for the cancer. And that goes for the coroner. And that goes for the coronavirus disease. And that goes for the brain hemorrhage. And that goes for the car accident. Not a single shaft can hit the believer until the Lord sees fit. And when he sees fit, you will not argue about it as we well know in the month of January. I tell you, this man was safe. Well, might we sing this morning, safe to the rock that is higher than I. There's no way Elijah would have got out of Samaria. There's no way he'd have got through the land. There's no way. The God of heaven before whom he stood and whom he believed. I tell you this, 
He was as safe as the baby Moses was amongst the crocodiles in the basket in the Nile. He was as safe as Daniel was in the den of lions. He was as safe as Paul was in the storm heading towards Rome because God told Paul, thou shalt go to Rome. And when God says you'll go to Rome, you'll go to Rome. And when God says you'll go somewhere, you'll go somewhere. And when he told them to cross the sea, he says go over onto the other side. And the storm came. He didn't didn't tell them to go over to the other side to drown them halfway as they went to the other side. They came through the storm and you'll go through the storm. And you're going through the storm, some of you this morning. And you've been battered from one end to another with things people know nothing about this morning. But God is with you. The Lord Jehovah is with you. And if you're saved this morning, listen, he's in your soul and in your heart this morning. And things may be dark and things may be black and you may be... Just concerned about the children. You may be concerned about your job. You may be concerned about the future. But listen... There's a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven. Yes, he was as safe as Jesus was in the manger in Bethlehem and all the powers of Rome surrounding him. Safe. He was safe until the job was done. Oh, Elijah dipped. He dipped a time or two along the way, you know. And you're allowed to do that. Oh, it wasn't all when he was on the top of the mountain. It wasn't all when he was firing out the thunder. He knew what it was to get down. Don't you know that this morning? He knew what it was to get down under the juniper tree and want to die. You see, you have to take the whole package with this. It's not all on the mountain top. And he goes down under the juniper tree and he grunted and he cried and he wanted to die and he said, there's nobody, only me. And you know the story very well. But he was safe. He was safe. And you're safe this morning. And maybe you go down and maybe you dip and maybe you're bad days and so we have and days we cannot pray and days we cannot pray and so we have. But there's a God in heaven this morning. He'll keep you safe. He says, I will never leave thee or forsake thee. David Livingstone come home from the mission field and he stood before a couple of hundred in, in England to tell about the work that he was done. One arm was hanging down where he was mauled with a lion. Part of his face was all cut. He had failed away to nothing. He had been battling the powers of darkness and hell and animals and demons and everything out there. And he came back up and the first thing he said to the congregation when he stood up, he says, the only reason I'm here, the only reason that I'm over there is on the word of God. And that word is, Jesus said to me, Lo, I am with you always. With you always. And he's with you this morning. 
You see, he was safe, but he was also supplied. He was supplied. God says, I have commanded the rape, go way down over, cross the land again, go way down under the very verge, go down into the Jordan, go down into the church. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. He had already told two ravens to feed him. And God will supply your need this morning. Would some of you put up your hand this morning if you have nothing for your dinner? Would some of you stand up this morning if you haven't a shirt or a pair of trousers? Would some of you stand up this morning and say that you haven't money for the children tomorrow morning? And we'll try and get, gather up something for you. And there's not one of you can do that this morning. And God has provided your every need. Can anybody say I have no fuel for the car in the morning? Stephen testified last week from this pulpit and I was blessed to hear it. And never be ashamed to do that. Never be ashamed to tell the people how the Lord blesses us. I left in 1982. I left a good job. I left a well-paid job. I had £100. I had two girls at primary school. I had no job and Pat had no job. And the ravens came. I tell you, the ravens came. Door knocked to the doors and groceries sitting outside it. Envelopes through the letterbox. I never wanted from one day for one hour for anything. Because God, my God, will supply all your need. And don't you be afraid this morning, do you people that are tinkering about and wondering, will God look after you? I tell you, he'll look after you. All you need is the word of the Lord. You see, that's all this man had. He had the word of the Lord. Stephen had the word of the Lord. I had the word of the Lord. Elijah had the word of the Lord. David Livingstone had the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came on to Elijah. He didn't go searching for it. He didn't flick through the Bible. If he had one, he didn't flick through the Bible saying, oh, could he get a wee word? No. He didn't. It wasn't some committee or some board of governors or some elders in the church. No, the word of the Lord came unto him. My friend, it's the most precious and great thing for, to know that when the word of the Lord comes to you, when the word of the Lord comes to you for a message, when the word of the Lord comes to guide you, when the word of the Lord comes to speak to you about something, it's the most precious thing. The word of the Lord came to this man. He didn't go searching for it. He didn't call a prayer meeting at Palace Gardens. He didn't call a prayer meeting as he was moving out from Samaria and said, get a couple of these men round us, we'll pray. What am I going to do now? You see, I want to drive something home this morning as I come to a close. Let me drive this home. A very important point. God did not reveal his plans to Elijah all at once. He never does that. He didn't out on the mountain of Horeb. He didn't way back in those stones and those rocks and those sheep. And whatever the environment was he lived in, he didn't say to Elijah, Now, Elijah, you're my child, you're my servant. 
Now here's what's going to happen, Elijah. I want you to go down to the palace and I want you to deliver this message. And then I want you after that to leave there and go to the brook Cherith. And then I want you to leave there and I want you to go to the woman of Seraphath. And I want you to leave there and I want you to go to Obadiah. I want you to go back to Ahab again. And then I want you to go on to the Mount of Carmel and I want you to call down the fire and the false prophets and then I want you to go to Jezreel and then I want you to go to the caves in Horeb and stay there. And then I want you to, 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 to crown King Hazel king and, and anoint Elisha in your stead. Not a bit of him. All he told him was one thing at a time. You hear me this morning now. You obey what he has told you. Because he'll not show you the next thing. And as you walk, this is a walk of faith. It's not sight. I'm sure he thought as he went down through there to the palace, where am I going to go after this? How will it be kept safe after this? Well, there's one thing sure. He didn't intend to go to the brook. He didn't intend to sit there for a year. And he didn't intend the ravens to feed him. That man's heart, it says in James, that he had a passion. He was a man of passion. He was on fire for God. He, wanted, he thought he would go straight in and pull down the altars of Baal. He thought he'd go in down and, and stop the sacrifices and, and, and destroy the false prophets and God would come down and fire would come. He thought that's what he was going to do, but he didn't because it wasn't God's time. Very opposite. Go to the brook chair. He didn't say go to the river. No river. He didn't say go to a lake. He didn't say go to a stream. He said go to a brook. The last of them all. And stay there. Until the word comes to you. You see, he will not show us the next step until we obey the first one. And I feel as many of God's people and you're at Kadesh Barnea and you're just trailing around this morning. And you can't get over because you'll not obey the first thing. And that's going to be very sad when you get to the judgment seat. He said to him, go east and hide thyself at the brook chairs. There was nothing ambiguous about that. And he knew about ravens. And to imagine the dirty bird that the raven was in a time of famine, butcher and baker, morning and evening, dropping the bread and the flesh at his feet. When he commands the ravens, the ravens have to move. When he told the cock to crow in Peter's hour, the old rooster crowed. When he told the Balaam's ass to talk, the ass talked. This is God we're dealing with. The creator God. He was safe. He was supplied. 
and he was strengthened. He got strength for the journey. I, I often envisage him there at the brook. And after a year of famine. You remember cattle were dying. People were dying. This was an awesome famine for three and a half years. And I can imagine him going to the brook and probably he measured and said, well, that was there yesterday. Last night that was there. It's down again. Tell me this. Is your brook drying up this morning? Hmm? What's drying up in your life this morning? Is your relationship drying up? Is the finances drying up? Is your health drying up? What's drying up this morning? And I'm sure that he said to himself, what's going to happen now? Well, he was a man subject to like passions as we are, James says. And I love that wee bit James put in about him. He was a man of prayer, a man of subject to like passions. So he would have prayed. And he'd been praying away up on the mountain, Lord, how long is this going to go on? How long is Jezebel and Ahab going to reign? This thing never was as bad as it is now, Lord. And all the history of Israel has never been as bad. What are you going to do? I'm going to send you. Lord, what, what am I going to do now? How can I come out of hiding? Because that's where he was. God told him to hide himself. How can I come out of hiding? Some of you need to come out of hiding this morning. You see, it's very good to stand up in a meeting. But carrying it through is not as easy. Do you need to come out of hiding this morning? Well, the Sodomites are coming out of hiding one after the other and declaring. It's time God's people come out of hiding and says, I'm standing for the Lord. I belong to Jehovah. Come out of hiding at your work. Come out of hiding in the school. And I'm sure he said, how, how, how can I go out into the... And go to Sarephath? Sure, that's where Jezebel's from. And sure, look at, look at the miles. I have to go down past through all this thing again. I have commanded a widow woman to feed you there. And that was the last resort. A widow woman. Gentile. Feed a Jew. In a famine. How could that be? No, but with God all things are possible. And once he moved out... The blessing came. You see, it says that I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. I have commanded the widow woman to sustain you there. And the word is there. Not somewhere else. 
He'll bless you there when you're in the center of his will. Listen, he'll bless you in this house tonight if you come. There, sitting in the seat where you are. He has promised to bless. So I'm finished. So the last thing he did was strengthen him. And whatever your encounters are this week, God is your help, as Jonah read. And lift up your eyes onto the hills, from hence cometh that help. And we can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth us, and you'll get strength for tomorrow, dear. You'll get strength for that hospital appointment. You'll get strength for that court case. You'll get strength for whatever befalls you. For the Lord God will strengthen you with power and might. So fear not. Let us not give up. Let us not give out. And let us not give in. But let us stand and watch God working in this hour. And let us declare there's a God in heaven before whom I stand. And he's the God of Israel. And he lives within my heart. Hallelujah.